This morning, I want to start off by sharing a story, which has nothing to do with my message. <laughs> but this little side journey, but I really feel a sense to share this with you. A young man had this dream, and in his dream, he's walking through the forest. And as he was walking through the forest in his dream, he stumbled across a great big grizzly bear. When he saw the grizzly bear, he turned and ran. So he's running through the forest in his dream with this huge big grizzly bear chasing after him. And as he was running, he trips over a log. And as he turns around on his back, he sees this big, giant, scary-looking grizzly bear just standing over him with the fangs hanging out, I mean, glaring and, and just snarling at him, and just snarling at him. And the young man looks at the bear and says, Mr. Grizzly Bear, are you going to eat me? And the grizzly bear turns to him and says, <laughs> I forgot what he said. <laughs> That's not the end of the story. <laughs> this is what he said. <laughs> the grizzly bear looks at the young man and he says, I don't know. This is your dream. You determine how it ends. And the reason why I say that is because there are some of you here this morning who have gotten far so off the track that you've lost sight of the dream. There are some of you who have become discouraged and have given up on your dream. And there are those who just don't even care about the dream that God has given them. So you don't even know if you even have a dream. But my encouragement for you this morning is there is a way for you to determine how your dream ends because every one of us has a God-given dream and if we just get on track get on the road that God has already prepared for you in order to reach your destiny you will determine your end don't let nothing else discourage you or distract you or take you away from what God has for you so hold on to your dream if you've given up on it Go back and remember the dream that God has given you. And then hold on to it. And you know what? Get back on track and live that dream. Amen? That's for some of you this morning. Praise the Lord. I'm glad I remembered it, boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. Well, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and mercy. Every day we rely on your grace. Every day, Father God, we rely on your strength because we know that without you, we can do nothing or accomplish anything. But Father, we thank you today for being in our midst. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, flowing in this, in this place. And we pray for your word, Lord God, that as you send forth your word, it will not come back to you void, but it will accomplish what you please, and it will prosper wherever you send it. Send it in our hearts, Lord God. Let us receive what you have in store for us. Give us a word, Lord God, a timely word that will encourage us, strengthen us, give us hope. Help us to find answers, Lord God. Heal our bodies, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Father, all that you intend for, to do today through your word, Father God, have your way. And Father, we receive what you have in store for us. Thank you, Holy Ghost, for using me today to speak into their lives. And Father, we thank you because you're a God that don't disappoint. And for this, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen and Amen. Every day of our lives, we say yes to so many things. 
Sometimes we say yes to things that we shouldn't say yes to. I'm getting an echo over here. And so, but the, the thing about yes, the word yes has such a positive connotation that society tells us that it's good to say yes to the things you want. It says good to the things that you want or that you need. As a matter of fact, society promotes that saying yes will bring you happiness and joy. But if that were the case, why is it that it's so difficult for so many people to say yes to God? And this morning I want to talk to you on the subject of saying yes to God, even when you want to say no. Saying yes to God even when it's difficult. Saying yes to God when it's challenging. Saying yes to God even when it's scary or even when it doesn't make any sense to our natural reasoning. Are you hearing me this morning? I want to speak on four points this morning. I want to look at the significance and importance of saying yes to God. I want to talk about the, what it means to say yes to God. I also want to look at the challenge of saying yes to God. And of course, I want to end by sharing the rewards and the blessings that come by saying yes to God. Amen. Amen. By the time, the, by the end of the service, and by the time you leave here, you'll all learn one thing, that yes is God's favorite word. Amen. Amen. Because listen, saying yes simply is obeying God. And every one of us are called to obey Him. And just to show you how important saying yes is in the Bible, I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, because the very first command to obey that was ever recorded in the Bible is found right here in Genesis chapter 2. Beginning in verse 16, it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And of course we know the story that Adam received that very first commandment that was ever given by the Lord. And you know how that story ended. Which shows us how important saying yes to God is. Now go to Revelation chapter 22. Because not only does the Bible begin or starts off with the command to obey The very last chapter in the last book of the Bible uh, closes out with a word of encouragement on obeying God. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14, if you can put that up there, says this, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city, which is the new Jerusalem. And that tree of life is the tree that Adam and Eve was not allowed to eat because of their disobedience. But when we obey God, there's going to be a time when we have the right and the freedom to eat off that tree. Amen. So from beginning to the end, the command to obey is simply universal and unchanging obedience. Are you hearing me? So that means that the first and the last thing that God requires of all of us is just that. Simple, universal obedience obedience and every call to obedience demands a response every call to obedience is, is it demands a yes answer and that's where the challenge is but obedience 
to God is such a significant subject in the Bible. Go with me to Joshua chapter 1. And I'll show you some examples. Because obedience or saying yes requires courage. How many of you believe that? When God called Joshua to step into Moses' role and lead God's people into the promised land, that's a huge task. But God felt the need to encourage him and said this in verse 6 in the New Living Translation, Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. I'm still hearing an echo here. And then he encourages them one more time in verse 7. And then down in verse 9, if you look down in verse 9 in New Living Translation, it says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then we look at another example in Acts chapter 5 in verse 29 where Peter and the apostles demonstrated great courage when they had to stand before the council of the Pharisees after preaching the gospel. Now, keep in mind that the apostles received the commission from the Lord Jesus himself to preach the gospel to all nations. They were also empowered by the Holy Ghost to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into other most parts of the earth. So they were doing exactly what God told them to do. But they faced heavy persecution. And now they were apprehended and brought before the council who strictly commanded them not to preach this name. And their response was this. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. They could have buckled under pressure and under the persecution and said, okay, and then be done with it. But by doing that, that means saying no to the commission of the Lord and saying no and denying the power of the Holy Ghost to be witnesses in all of these places. But they chose to say yes to God. And of course, Jesus, who demonstrated the ultimate act of courage when he said yes to the Lord and obeyed him, even if it meant a horrible death. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Obedience requires courage. And when we obey God, listen, as just as it was for Joshua, uh, Peter and the apostles, and Jesus himself, which saw that obedience was so important to their lives, We have to make obedience so significant in our lives because when we say yes to God, it becomes a stepping stone for accomplishing some great things in the kingdom of God and in our lives. Do you hear me? So saying yes to God not only requires courage, but it also demonstrates our faith. Go to Hebrews 11. Saying yes to God is an awesome thing. It's a challenging thing, but an awesome thing. Because we all know that faith is an essential part of Christian living. The scriptures tells us in Romans 1.17 that the just shall live by faith. It also tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 8 when it comes to Abraham. It says, by faith Abraham obeyed or said yes. When he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, watch this, not knowing where he was going. Now the world world would call this blind faith. 
Well, we all know better because there's no such thing in the kingdom of God of blind faith. The Bible calls us to live by faith and to walk by faith and not by sight. That doesn't mean that we're walking blindly. We're walking because we're trusting in the Lord. We're trusting in his word. We're trusting in his promise. That's not blind. So when God told Abraham to leave his country, to leave his relatives, and to leave his father's house, he did so without any resistance. He never stopped to think about it. He never stopped to count the cost. He never said, let me pray about it. He didn't even ask God why. All he simply said in Genesis 12, 4, God, he said that Abraham went and did as the Lord had commanded him. That's simple. Abraham's obedience to God, he didn't know, to go to a place that he knew nothing about, to great courage, but also take good faith. And because he did that, he was a blessed man. Which leads me to my next point. What does it mean to say yes to God? Well, first go to Mark's chapter 10. In order to say, to say yes to God, Listen very carefully now. In order to say yes to God, we must first say no to ourselves. Let me say that again. In order to say yes to God, we must first say no to ourselves. What prevents so many believers from saying yes to God is because they're so unwilling to say no to themselves. In the world that we live in today, to say yes to God means to deny our plans deny our agenda, deny our wants and our needs. We read a story in Mark chapter 10, and it's a very familiar story where this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, asking Jesus, what must I do to get eternal life? Now understand the question. He was asking Jesus what he can do. He was looking for some instruction on how he can gain eternal life. And so Jesus tells him, well, have you kept the commandments and he gives them a list of commandments and the rich young ruler says i've observed them from my youth and then we look in verse 21 when jesus was looking at him loving him and felt genuine love for him and said to him one thing you lack let me just stop right here if there's an area in your life that's lacking whether it's one area or several areas Because God loves you, and because God does not want to keep you where you are, he's going to show you the area that you are lacking. He will not only show you where you're lacking, but he's going to show you how to deal with that lack. That's when we're faced with the decision to say, okay, Lord, I'll follow your instructions. I will follow your lead. I will do as you say if it's going to help me to deal with this lack in my life. How many of you who may have lack in your life would want to say, Lord, show me how I can deal with this lack in my life? We all would say, yes, we do. But when the time comes, are you willing to say yes? And so Jesus says, one thing you lack, go your way. So whatever you have, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. As I mentioned to you, obedience always demands a response. It always demands a yes answer. And here's how the rich young ruler responded in verse 22. But he was sad at this word. And he went away sorrowful, for he had 
great possessions. Let me read that to you from the message translation. Mark 10, 22 in the message translation says this. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. That might be speaking to somebody here this morning. He came to Jesus looking for what he can do to gain eternal life. And Jesus showed it to him. The problem was he was unwilling to say no to himself. He was unwilling to say no to his possessions. And he was unwilling to say no to his wealth. To say yes means to overcome your wants. To overcome your needs. To overcome your desires. And my friends, if we want to be real, that's not always the easiest thing to do. Amen? According to Jesus, it says it means denying yourself, taking up your cross, and follow him. Saying yes to God not only means saying no to yourself, it also means putting God first. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. When we say yes to God, we are choosing him over ourselves. And sometimes that can be a very difficult thing for some of us. That means making our priority, his priorities, our priorities. In the story of Elijah, we read that during this time, there was a terrible famine that was going on. There was no rain. The ground was drying up. Crops were dying. And livestock were also dying. And people were starving. And then God appears to Elijah and tells him, go to the city of Zarephath. For there I have commanded or appointed a widow woman to sustain you or to provide for you. And so Elijah, what do you think he did? He said, yes. And we pick up in verse 10 and he says this. So he arose and went to Zarephath as God told him. And he went and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow woman was there, just as God said. And she was gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she turns to him and said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And I see and, and see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and for my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Say first. first. And then bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son. Now, understand that the widow woman was going through a, a period of difficulties. Her husband is dead. Her, her, her resources are depleted. And now she made plans to take the little that she had, make her final meal, and die. That was her plan. was not a good plan. As a matter of fact, it was an awful plan. What makes this plan so awful is that God is not in it. So she wanted to gather up her final meal and then die until God sent Elijah. And God is such an on-time God. God knows exactly how to interrupt your plans 
when it doesn't match his plans. And so Elijah comes in and he begins to challenge her priorities. He began to challenge her to change her priorities to match God's priorities. Because, listen, understand this. This widow woman was not aware of the conversation that God had with Elijah. When God was talking about how this plan that he had, how he's going to use this widow woman to provide for this man of God, Elijah. The widow woman was not aware how God wanted to use her. All she knew is that she was taking her last meal for her and her son and die. But God had a plan to provide for her and her son many meals so that she can live. And you see, I'm so thankful that God can step in and interrupt our plans when our plans are not matching with his. Because if, if anything, God wants us to be on point and get on board his plan because there's far greater things that God has in store for us than we sticking to our own plans. Are you, are you hearing me? God had a better plan than the widow's plan. Now, after Elijah made this demand, he felt the need to tell the widow woman what God said. Because understand that when Elijah came, he saw the widow woman just like God said. And God said that this woman is going to provide for him. And when he said, make me some bread, make me some corned beef and hash, make me some bacon and eggs, ah. And this widow woman said, what? I don't have enough to make for myself, never mind you. Now, that would raise any, uh, some questions in anybody's mind. I said, wait a minute, God, didn't you tell me that this widow woman was supposed to sustain me? But she's got nothing to sustain me with. But she, he knew what God said. That's why he challenged her to change her priorities. He said in verse uh, 13, make me a cake from the little that you have first. And then bring it to me. And then afterward, make for yourself in anticipation that there's going to be more in store for her. The widow woman didn't get that. And so God says in verse 14, I mean, the word says in verse 14, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the the Lord sends the rain on the earth. Now, notice what God did not say. He did not say that he was going to provide it with new flour. He didn't say he was going to provide it with new oil. No, he said he was going to take the little that she has. She's going to, he's going to take the old stuff that she has. And he's going to make it last until the rain comes. My wife and I, we had purchased a 2007 Toyota Camry. It's a very good car. I recommend it to anybody. And it's been a good car. When we first purchased it, it was like 16,000 miles. It was a pre-owned car, but it was you know, pretty brand new. And it was running wonderful. And we've had this car for eight years, going on nine years now. And our odometer do- our do- our reads 289,000 miles. Now, I would love to get a new car. I would love to purchase a new car with a low mileage. I would like to cast aside my old car. And bring in something new. But it's not the right season for us to do that. But my wife and I decided that we're going to trust God with our old stuff. Trust God with our old car. So that to make sure that it doesn't run out, run dry, and make sure that our old car lasts until he sends rain on our lives. 
there are some of you that are getting ready to go into something new. You want to cast aside your old job. You want to cast aside your old career. You want to cast aside your old home or whatever. But it could be that God may be telling you to hold on to the old stuff. I'll make it last. But until then, hold on until I send the rain your way. Amen. Amen. That's when things become new. Glory to God. God's got a better plan. We just got to stick to it. So, understand, this widow woman was faced with a conflict. She was conflicted within herself. Because it was between the facts that her resources were depleted and faith in what God said. The fact was, her resources were depleted. God said, your resources will last. She had God's promise, but she had no proof. Can I tell you, there are two types of praisers that come to church on Sunday morning. There are those who come to church praising God, singing and shouting praises unto the Lord, hearts filled with joy, dancing and singing before the Lord because they have proof of what God has done for them. They come to church praising God, worshiping the Lord, singing praises because God healed their bodies that week. They had proof. They come to church thanking Lord, praising Him, and, and, and singing shouts, of songs of praise and shouting and dancing because they had proof because God had met a need in their lives that week. They come to church praising God, worshiping Him, singing and dancing because God did something wonderful for them in that week. They had proof. Then there are other people who come to praise God. Those are people who come to church with no proof. I mean, with just a promise. These are people that come to church unemployed, but yet they praise God. Shouting and singing with all their hearts. Singing and dancing because they know God's going to provide for them. These are people that come to church with sick in their bodies. But all they have is the promise that God one day is going to heal their bodies. And they're going to come and praise and worship him. These are people that come to church broke, but yet they're going to praise him, worship him, and sing songs of praise because they've got a promise that God is going to meet their need. Hallelujah. Those are two types of praises that come to church. Which one are you? The widow woman had to make a choice. Fact, faith. Promise, no proof. Well, upon hearing God's word, upon hearing what God said, she made a decision, and she said yes. And she changed her priorities by placing God first. And because she did that, something amazing happened. Look in verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. In other words, she said yes to the words of Elijah. And she and he and her household, out of the little that she had, ate for many days. Hallelujah. Look at verse 16. For the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Hallelujah. God was able to use this widow woman who had nothing to sustain the man of God with the little that she had, and God was able to do something with it. You know, if we allow God to do something with us, if we say yes to him. We're giving him a chance to do some great and mighty things in our lives. Saying yes to God simply means trusting him and obeying his word. 
It means obeying what God says in the timing and, and the manner that he says to do it. Some of us, God has told us to do something, and we did not respond in the manner and timing that he wanted us to do it. And because of that, we missed out on whatever God had. Saints, let us not miss out on what God has for us. The moment he says to do something, we say yes. When he says jump, we say how high. When we say run, we say how fast. How long? Because God wants to do something. Now, oh my goodness, the time is going by. Now, there are many examples in the Bible, which we don't have time to get into, of men and women who've said yes to God. And under extreme circumstances, in dangerous situations, and when, when times were uncomfortable. But yet every time they said yes to God, God was able to do something great in their lives. Queen Esther was one of them. She said yes, even when it meant her life. When she had to go before the king unannounced. Under Persian law, it was a, a dangerous thing and it was against the law to come to the king unannounced. You had to be announced. You had to be requested. You had to be called upon. No one can come to the king, not even the queen, can come to the king. If they did, it meant instant death. But because the children of Israel were facing annihilation, she knew she had to do something. So she said yes to God, even if it meant costing her life in order to save God's people. She said this in Esther 4, verse 16. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And because she said yes, she was able to save God's people. Abraham said yes when God told him to do something that you and I would say, we'll have a hard time saying yes to. When he said, sacrifice your only son. Sometimes God will call upon you to do something you don't want to do. Sometimes God will call upon you and require something of you that you don't want to let go of. But understand this, when we say no to God, we're denying him. We're denying what he can do, what he wants to do, and what he had plans for us to do. But God requires something of Abraham, something that meant a lot to him, something that was part of God's promise, something that was an answer to his prayer. And God is saying, now I want it. But as we learned earlier, Abraham did it without any resistance, didn't question God. Didn't think about it, didn't pray about it. He just simply did, just did what God asked. And because of that, he was blessed. Mary was another example. When she said yes to supernaturally carry the Savior in her womb, the Savior of the world, even if it meant looking, not looking bad for her, I mean, looking bad for her, because under Jewish strict laws, uh, a woman who was not married and walking around pregnant it was not a very good thing. But she didn't care because she recognized that she was a servant of the Lord. And God had told her, I need you to carry my Savior. And because of that, she was blessed of the Lord. And of course, Jesus Christ said yes to die at a very excruciating and agonizing pain. An agonizing death so that he can save the world. And because he did that, you and I are here today. Praising God. Amen. There are so many 
in the Bible that we just don't have the time to talk about who have faced difficult and dangerous situations, but they all said yes and was able to do something amazing in and through their lives, and God never disappointed them. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God won't disappoint you. Which leads me to my next point. The challenges of saying yes to God. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 3. Because saying yes to God, let's be real, there's a risk. There's a risk in saying yes to God. It means stepping out beyond the comfortable. Stepping beyond what is safe. There are so many believers who are satisfied with just choosing comfort and safety over risk. They're willing to step beyond their sense of security and allow God to be able to use them and experience God for their lives. You can say that saying yes to God is like venturing out further into the deepest part of the water where your feet no longer touches the bottom. Because at that moment, that's because all you have at that moment is God and his promise. Those who are willing to step out into deeper waters is when you need God desperately. You'll need nothing else and no one else but God at that point. That is when we relinquish all control over our lives, over our careers, over our marriage. In other words, we no longer have or we no longer determine our fate because now we're in God's hands. When we venture out into the deep where our feet cannot touch the bottom, we're now in God's hands. He is now the captain of our circumstances because we've allowed him to. We've dared to step out into the beyond. But there are so many, perhaps maybe we are one of those many who are unwilling to give up some measure of control because we don't believe that God is going to come through for us or we don't think that things that are going to work out the way we had hoped. So we want to hold on to a measure of control just in case things don't work out. Then we come up with our backup plan. But that's not trusting God. God wants you to go whole hog. Just dive right into the water. Just go into the deep and let God be the captain of your circumstances. Amen. In Exodus chapter 3, we read an example where God interrupts Moses' quiet life after 80 years. This is an old man now who settled as a husband, father, and a shepherd. He's already settled in his life. But now God is calling him. And he tells God, I mean, he tells uh, Moses all that took place with the children of Israel. He told them how he's heard their cries and, and how he's seen their oppression and their suffering. And now he wants to do something about it. God comes up with this elaborate plan to save his people. And then he tells Moses, Moses, you're part of that plan. In, in verse 10, God says this, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, did Moses jump up and down and say, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, let's do this. Come on, where are we at? No, Moses had some resistance. I mean, he sort of resisted God. And what I want to read to you is a list of excuses 
that he made to convince God that he was not the right person for the job. Now, as I read this, let's see if any of these excuses may, be, may sound familiar to some of you. The first excuse is in verse 11, where he says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? That's excuse number one. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. Go there. He says, Then Moses answered and said, But Lord, suppose they don't believe me. Suppose they don't listen to me. What if they don't believe that you've appeared to me? Excuse number four, or three, in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm not qualified. I'm not educated. I can't even speak English. I'm slow of speech, and I'm slow of tongue. And then the fourth excuse. And of course, he said all that to finally say this in verse 13. But he said, Oh my Lord, Please send by the hand of whomever whomever else you may send. In other words, please, Lord, send somebody else. How many of you have said that before? Now, don't raise your hand. (laughs) Moses was reluctant and apprehensive because of the fear of the unknown and because of his own personal inadequacies and insecurities. But here's the thing. It's not knowing what's ahead that's going to require faith and courage. It's what's not knowing what's ahead that's going to require us to say yes to God. Because when we do that, then we can trust that God is going to move us forward and get us through whatever it is he's called us to do. Now, does that mean that storms will come? Yes, they will come. Does that mean that God won't make difficult requests from you? Yes, he will. Are we going to be afraid and feel insecure about it? Of course we are. But I like what David said in Psalm 56 and verse 3. He says this very simply. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Hallelujah. Notice this verse says, when, I, when I'm afraid, not if I'm afraid. So many people want to live life having no fears in this world. But that's not going to happen. The only time and the only place that we're going to face no fear is in heaven. But because we live in this world, many of us are going to face some form of fear in some way, some form, some fashion. Because we live in an imperfect world. Listen, if you don't get anything else, get this. It is when we go to adversities, as one preacher would say, when we go to adversity, it becomes a journey of discovery. In other words, it is in adversity when we discover who God really is. Are you hearing me? Nothing makes God more real when he steps into your world and reverses the irreversible. There is nothing that makes God more real when he steps into your world and and makes the impossible possible. Nothing makes God, God more real than when he steps into your life and makes a way out of no way. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is when we discover who God is. That is when we discover that God is a Jehovah Jireh, our provider, in our most desperate need. That is when we discover that God is Jehovah Shalom, our peace, in our time of turmoil. 
That is when we believe and understand and discover that God is Jehovah Rapha, our healer, when our bodies are sick. It is only then when we face adversity that we begin our journey in discovering who God really is. And when we find out who he is, man, what a wonderful thing that is. You know, when the devil looks like he's running the show and he's in control, that's when God steps in, reverses everything, and now God is in control. So no matter what situation you're facing, God is in control. Are you hearing me? Go to Isaiah chapter 43. When we surrender all in obedience to his will and his ways, we learn who he really is and experience God more intimately than someone who's only willing to stand along the safety of the shoreline in ankle-deep water. Look at what Isaiah 43 says. Verse 2. When you pass through the waters, now notice it says when and not if, which means there will be time when you will have to face or go through some waters. But look what he says, I will be with you. And he says that when you go through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when and not if you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Glory to God. When you say yes to God, he will never, ever disappoint you. Turn to your other David and say, God won't disappoint you. Yet sadly, far too many believers are satisfied with standing along that shoreline in ankle-deep water where it's safe. And my question is, how long do you plan on standing there? How long do you think you can stand there and think that you can experience God? Some of you are waiting along the shoreline in ankle-deep water, waiting for God to come to you. But the scripture says, as I come nigh unto you, you will come nigh unto me. Let us draw nigh unto him. Sometimes it means venturing out into the deepest part of the water where God is. When God called Peter, come. Peter jumped out of the boat. Maybe because Peter was crazy, I don't know. But he just jumped out of the boat and he actually started walking. But only because Jesus called him. God is calling some of us to venture out. God is calling us to go, at least come out in the deep water. At least come there. Show me that you're making an effort. Saying yes to God will allow God to use us to accomplish great and mighty things. When Moses said yes, his people was set free. When Joshua said yes, the promised land was conquered. When David said yes, Goliath Goliath got whooped. When Jesus said yes, sin died and salvation was made possible for the world. Glory to God. When a person says yes, he is the one that God will entrust in his work. He is the one that God will entrust and bring glory to his name. Come on now. And with that comes great rewards. Go to James 1.25. Obedience always brings blessings. In James 1 verse 25, James says this, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, or someone who says yes to his word, this one will be blessed in what he does. Imagine living life 
being blessed in everything that you do. When we say yes to God, we're simply obeying his word. And obedience always opens up the doors of blessings in our lives. Please know that. In Genesis chapter 22, if you go there with me, we saw the example of, uh, of Elijah and the widow woman of Zarephath and how when she said yes and able to change her priorities and put God first, and we saw what God was able to do. In Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 2, it says this, Then he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and then go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of these mountains which, I'm, which I shall show you and tell you. Now, it's the next verse that opens the door of blessings in Abraham's life. In verse 3 says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Some uh, scholars say that he rose up early in the morning so he won't wake up his wife. Because I think that if his wife was awake, she would not allow him to take her son to be sacrificed. But he got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he took two young men with him. And most importantly, he took Isaac, the sacrifice. And then he went and split wood for the burnt offering, and he rose and went to the place of which God told him. You see how he took these steps to do exactly what God said. With no hesitation, no reluctance, no questions, he did exactly what God said. And remember, saying yes means doing what God says in the timing and manner that he says to do it. And now look at verse 16. Jesse was about to plunge the knife into his son's body. After placing him on the altar and ready to sacrifice, God steps in and says, Whoa, now I understand. Now I know I can rely on you to say yes whenever I call on you. Genesis verse 22 verse 16 says, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, blessing I will bless you. And multiply, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because you said yes to my voice. Hallelujah. When we say yes to God, God is waiting to pour out a blessing in our lives multiply in abundance every area of our lives. We've seen that with a widow woman. We see that with everything else. We see how God has blessed Abraham simply because he said yes. He dared to say yes. He took the risk, trusting God. He ventured out into the deepest of water, knowing that all he could do is call out on God and need him desperately, and God never disappointed him. That's the part that really blesses me, that we, we, when we take that risk and say yes, no matter how afraid we may be, some people say, you know what, do it scared. Sometimes we just got to do it scared. But man, we open up the doors of blessings. Go to Luke chapter 5. Look at another example. This is Peter, and again, another familiar story. Peter illustrates what can happen when we say yes to God. An example of living a blessed life. In the book of Luke, we read where Jesus had given Peter a command to cast out the nets into the water and to catch fish. 
And of course, again, we know the story. In verse 4, when he stopped speaking, Jesus said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon, in verse 5, answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down your net. Now, God tells Peter to do something that did not make any sense to his natural reasoning. This man was an experienced fisherman, licensed fisherman. He's done this all his life. Peter knew fish. And then Jesus, who's a carpenter, tries to tell him how to catch fish. Now, he could have responded to Jesus and said, now, Jesus, let's get something straight here. I'm the fisherman here. You're the carpenter. I know fish. You know wood. Stick to your wood. Let me stick to my fish. (laughs) Understand that Jesus, I mean, that Peter's uh, livelihood was fishing. This is how he made his money. This is how he made his income. This is what, this was part of his grind. And he knows that when you go out and catch fish, you're going to make some money. When you go out and catch no fish, you don't catch no money. But it was part of the business. Peter understood this. But yet Jesus insisted that he go out and cast his net into the water, the very same water that he went fishing all night and could not catch anything. Peter was being challenged to make a decision that would have contradicted his natural reasoning and his personal experience as a fisherman. And he did everything that a fisherman knew how to do to try to catch fish, yet he caught nothing. What do you do? What do you do when you've toiled all night and caught nothing? Most of us will say, you know what, we'll call it a night. I'm tired. I wasted a lot of man hours. I missed the Celtics game. (laughs) I'm going to go home, get some sleep, and try again in the morning. He had a choice to believe Jesus and act upon it or believe his instincts and his experience and his natural reasoning. Peter's response in verse 5, he says, nevertheless, in other words, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what my experience tells me, no matter what anybody else tells me, and no matter how much, how long I spent all night catching fish and caught nothing, at your will or at your word, I will do, as you say, I will let down the net. Now look in verse 6. And when they had done this, then what? When he said, yes, set out into the deep and cast his net, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Look at verse 7. And because the net was breaking, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they all came and filled both boats so that the boat began to sink. Now, What Jesus did was beyond what Peter thought or could ever imagine as a fisherman. Because Jesus turned what was once an empty water and filled it with fish. He filled a net that was once empty with fish to the point of breaking. And he took two empty boats and filled it with fish to the point of it sinking. If Peter had said anything other than yes he would have missed out on the greatest fishing experience of his life. If you and I would say anything other than yes to God, we would miss out on the greatest experience of our own lives. 
I ask this question. How many great experiences in our lives have we missed out when we fail to say yes to God? That's something to ponder on. But because Peter's obedience, because he said yes to Jesus, the Lord arranged a miracle that he would never forget. And Peter was able to experience an abundant supply supernaturally. He said yes to the Lord, despite what he felt. And the Lord blessed them with supernatural provisions in abundance. God will open up doors of blessings for you, for your lives, for your careers, for your marriage, for your relationship, for your ministry, when we say yes and obey God. Like Peter and so many others, obeying God is always the wisest choice. How many agree with that? And despite what our natural reasonings may say, despite how afraid or scared we may be, despite how difficult or challenging it may be, when God is telling you to do something, you can say yes, and God won't disappoint you because God is going to do some great things. Why would you prevent God from doing that in your life? Just simply say yes. It is always the wisest choice because every day we're faced with the decision to say yes or no to God. But when we practice, when we make it a practice to say yes on a regular basis, God is able to reward us by taking our emptiness regarding our finances, our relationship, our marriage, our careers, and do some great and mighty things. Hallelujah. God is able to fill your emptiness with an abundance and do some amazing things in your life if you say yes. Are you hearing me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Father God, we know... Every day, we're faced with a decision to say yes. And Lord, there are times when we're scared. There are times, Father God, that it may be difficult to say yes to you. Father God, we, we, sometimes we feel inadequate and, and, and insecure to say yes in situations, Father God, that you call us to say yes to. But Father, today, after hearing your word, after being challenged... Father, today, we say yes. We say yes to your will. We say yes to your ways. We say yes to your instructions. Father, when it comes to our finances, we say yes. Lord, when it comes to instructions in our marriage, we say yes. Father, when we say, we say yes to the instructions, Father God, in, in our careers, in our very lives. Because you have a better plan than we do. Father, help us to say yes. Help us to overcome the resistance. Help us to overcome the distractions. Help us to overcome our fears. So that we make it a practice of saying yes to you in all things. And Lord, we know that when we say yes, we get to know who you really are. We get to discover the real God. We get to discover that you are truly the provider. That you are truly the healer. That you are truly the God of peace. That you're truly the God that is more than enough. But Father, help us to say yes. So that we can experience you more intimately. And more powerfully. Father God, we ask this in your precious son's name. We want to say yes. But Lord, we're making a declaration today. That we are going to say yes. 
And Lord, we thank you for the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to say yes consistently every day of our lives. And Father, we place our trust in you. We're willing to take that risk because we know that you won't disappoint us. And Lord, for this we thank you. In your precious son's name we pray. And all of God's people who agree with that prayer say, Amen. Amen.